0: People don't change when you tell them, right? People really change when their perspective changes, but it seems to be major life situations, prognosis, diagnosis, a defeat, humiliation, that people do stop and look at the world differently. Pete Cohen is a lifestyle coach and a
1: mentor. He has worked with the likes of Arsenal Football Club, Ronnie O'Sutherland, and many more celebrity-type athletes. Sadly... His own mindset was put to a challenge. He lost his own wife earlier this year. We speak about losing his wife and how he's bounced back. Be happy, never content. You'll find this one quite interesting. Before we start this week's podcast, I have to give a special mention to our sponsors. iSecure Vehicles. They are a brilliant company, a family-run business, and they specialise in vehicle safety and security throughout the UK. I know this company very well, and I also know the people behind the brand. If you've been following me on my podcast journey and on social media, you will know that I love cars and so does my network. This is why I'm very, very excited to be working with iSecure Vehicles, and this is why we have chosen them to be our sponsors for the Stephen Sully Study Podcast. Their team are professionals, experts, and they're efficient. Once their product is installed on your car, your vehicles, you will have the peace of mind that your asset is protected. Trust me, do not wait until it's too late. Get protection now. For more information about their products, including dash cameras, undetected immobilizers, and also car tracking systems, head over to iSecure-Vehicles.co.uk and remember to mention the Stephen Sully study podcast sent you right welcome back to the podcast Stephen Sully study we're here at my second home Woodbury house over in Mayfair and I've got a really really great guest in front of me I've only been connected to this man for a very very short time and this is the beautiful thing about podcasting this is a beautiful thing about social media it's a beautiful thing about life you don't need to know someone too long and before you know it you're sitting there just about to interview them and hear their life story Pete's Cohen, thank you very much for um coming down today.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: And I'm very, very much looking forward to this conversation. No, it's We have. haven't even
0: known each other twenty four hours. It was uh, James Burt literally yesterday must have sent you a message and then sent me a message and, and I think this is the quickest turnaround ever. And I got up at four, which I always do, and then just got on the train to come here. You know, it's amazing, like you said, what can happen on the back of a conversation. Definitely, definitely. So, um, for the
1: audiences uh benefit you're a motivational speaker you're an author yeah you're a great human being you're a business person but i think to round it all all up you identify really as let's say a coach and that could be a mindset coach that could be a lifestyle coach there's a couple of different hats within being being a coach so some of the biggest accolades successes that you've had is um coaching teams and coaching super individuals and athletes to get to the very top so share with us some of the people that you've worked with and maybe some of the teams
0: yeah well one of the most famous people is uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan so I started working with Ronnie in 2002 it's funny because I met him at the Ritz around the corner and back in the day they Actually, wouldn't let him in because he was wearing jeans now i think you can go in the ritz with jeans Uh, and then we went across the road and we sat down and i spoke to him he made an appointment to come and see me a two-hour appointment at my house and he stayed for three days and i started working with him for two years which was amazing because um he won the world title for the second time i started working with in football our first team i worked with was cheltenham town then oxford then fulham and then arsenal which was really difficult because I don't support them. (laughs) I should support Tottenham, but I I don't support them either. Um, And I've worked with uh, with the Kent cricket team. That was my first kind of working with a professional proper team, which I found really a big eye opener because I couldn't believe how uncommitted people were to being the very best. Um, And I've worked with lots and lots of athletes. So back in the day, people like um, Dwayne Chambers, Sally Gunnell, Roger Back, Steve Backley, Amazing because you know these people are going out to compete in the biggest events in the world. So yeah, look, there's nothing better than because I'm a coach, right? So what a coach is, it comes from a Hungarian word meaning a coach and horses. So why would anyone go in a coach and horse? They are somewhere they want to go somewhere, and I want to be a part of that journey. I want to help them go to where they want to go. Yeah,
1: interesting stuff. So so okay, coaching a team, something like an Arsenal, yeah. or coaching an individual, something like a Ronnie O'Sullivan. How do you approach a team differently to an individual to make them the best oh, version they can be? Well, that's
0: such a great question. With a team, you've just got egos. With everyone, you've got egos, right? But as soon as you can get the ego out of the way and talk to the real person, it uh, becomes a lot easier. So with a team, you're always gonna have people that don't wanna go there. Because if a team wants to be the best, ultimately they've got to go inside they've got to look at what they're doing i think we all know that ultimately our life comes down to our relationship to ourselves how we've dealt with what's happened how we see the future and uh, a lot of people become famous or become great because they want to prove themselves to the world and let's face it we've all got baggage and i'm one of these people if we can't deal with the baggage if we can't work with what's holding you back, it's going to become a problem. So it was always a challenge working with teams, with people who were getting paid often huge amounts of money who aren't really there for the betterment of the team. They're there for the betterment of themselves. But when I worked with Arsenal, that was quite an interesting time because um, there was a real collective. It was when um, Wenger really started um, and he inherited a team from George Graham. He had a great defense, but there was this collectiveness where everyone wanted to play For everyone, which is very rare. It's like even if you're on the bench, it doesn't matter. You still want everyone to win. You're a part of a collective. Yeah. Um, So I box.
1: I've had 16 fights. My last fight was last year, and I'm 37 now. And I (laughs) really, I really want to do a few more because my last fight I lost. So I'd never like to uh, finish on my loss. Yeah. now I've seen a lot of boxers and fighters where they get trained and it it really look they have got a team but at the end of the day it's really down to them because they're the only ones in that ring and they're the ones who have to put the graft in and you can see some of the coachable fighters that are open-minded they're willing to learn they're willing to be criticized but not take offense to it to learn from it etc when you've got a team of 24 30 people may maybe you know the subs and you know the the reserves etc in the first team it's not just about that individual it's about the culture <laughs> the winning culture and if you look at any business like a sales we've obviously got a sales element here at, at Woodbury house because even the best products in the world need to be sold and if you don't have a winning culture You could have the best talent in the world but if the culture isn't there and not clicking and gelling together it can it can all fall apart so how do you how do you bring around a
0: winning culture within a team well the first thing is just talking about I love boxing first and foremost and uh, when I became a personal trainer in 1989 I worked at the Barbican and literally Nigel Ben used to come in and skip for an hour and leave (laughs) and I got to know him a little bit he didn't he wasn't didn't talk to too many people but i never forget talking to him once and i said how did you used to look at people when you were going to fight them? and literally he looked at me in such a way that i got so scared i said what are you doing he goes i'm looking at the back of your head i said why he goes that's where this is going <laughs> so he could see through what it was uh, he was doing i've always been fascinated by the mindset of people that fight and what that actually takes to be able to Get rid of all distractions and be where you are. And culture, if you think about it, culture is, um, it comes from the word cult, actually. A lot of people have a negative association. But when you have a team and you're a part of a cult, you're playing for something bigger than yourself. So just taking Arsenal, for example, um, Wenger was really good at getting everyone to play for each other. But when the new player came into the team, my observation of that was, well, he's an outsider. So the culture at the world would start again. Ferguson, who I also got to know a little bit and talk to him, he was really good at getting everyone to play for him, right? And if you didn't want to play for him, you had to go. And that's why people say, you got rid of Beckham, you got rid of Ronaldo, you got rid of Yap Stam, all of these great people. Why? Because he perceived that they didn't want to play for him. He kept Cantonar. because Cantona still wanted to play for him even after Cantona kicked uh, the Crystal Palace supporter in the chest. Take it to another level and you see what Klopp and Guardiola have done. So I know this, because I know people that are involved in that setup. Guardiola is amazing. It's like, it's not about just playing, you play for me, you play for each other, you play for the team, but you actually play because you know that there's more to you, that you've got more to give. So he's got all of these people to play for themselves, each other, but also for the fact, how good can you actually be? Forget the money, how good could you be? And that's the thing which I find most exciting. When you can get people to be a part of a vision that isn't just what they're doing today. This is, this is going somewhere. We're cementing legacies. Because it's not about winning. It's what you do when you've won. That's when you start to see great legacies coming about. And this is
1: kind of the big difference between the Messi's and Ronaldo's versus many other footballers out there. Um, many other footballers... You know part of a winning team many other footballers are paid a hell of a lot of money many other footballers are very very famous many other footballers are very very good and they, they will always be, be remembered as being very good but then you have people which are phenomenal and these are the type of people that even after a game or after training they're training themselves even more whether that's recovery whether that's reading a book whether that's researching nutrition they're, they're on it all the time on that note just a quick question who is the GOAT Messi or Ronaldo?
0: Well, I used to say Ronaldo, but I'd say Messi now. I don't know why. Uh, I think they're both incredible. I think what they represent is how good can you be? And they want to eke out every bit of greatness. I'm sure they're into money and everything like that. But I hear people I know talk about them and how actually incredibly kind, giving people they are. And they want to be examples to others. They want to show what you can do. How much can you squeeze out of what you've got? Like if you died today or I died today... Would I look back with regret? Would I look, or would I look back, and think I have got out as much of what I could or of what I've got? Mm. And that's what mm, I want to do. But I suppose, you know, what is it? Well, for you, which one is it, uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, I, I was. I, I'm a very, very similar to you. I said for a very
1: long time it was Ronaldo. And elements of my sort of thought process is probably still Ronaldo. Yeah, I like the way he's physically strong and powerful and I don't think he's made in heaven I think he's manufactured on earth whereas uh, yeah. Messi is the other way agree. He, he, he's made in heaven he's got a natural touch I kind of like the raw and almost aggressive nature of Ronaldo but I look, that that makes a lot of people resent him at the same time whereas Messi seems a lot more humble and a lot more of a people's person but I've got to be honest I feel like I'm shifting more towards Messi now because since he's uh, joined- uh, America. Yeah, Miami, Miami, into Miami. As opposed to Saudi. I don't know, I feel like there's- there's,
0: there's a bit more of a, a mission behind his intent now. So what I like about both of them is the reinvention. I'm fascinated by, can we consciously reinvent ourselves? And when you look at really successful people, I know they consciously did it, I think. So you look at Mr. Beast, for example, right? He's massive, right? He made these four videos eight years ago of which he was talking to his future self. He was 17 and he scheduled those videos to go out six months, a year, five years, 10 years. After five years, he went from 18, 14,000 subscribers to his then 40 million. Now he's got over 100 million. He knew who he needed to become. Gandhi's another example. Gandhi said, to be the change that you want to be in the world. He consciously knew who he was wasn't good enough. He had to become someone else. So when I heard on your podcast, the fact that when you were 16, you were a plumber right? You've reinvented yourself. And then you just told me before about you're working in an industry and then you you showed some knack for art and now you're in another industry. You are not who you were. Did you consciously choose to be the person that you are today? Probably not. I don't know. I didn't. It just kind of happened. But now I would imagine, I don't know, I'd be curious to find out because I'm such a curious person. What's driving you now in terms of Who you want to be and what you want to do with the time that you have because Messi he's reinvented himself again, he's found another, hopefully, afterwards, he'll find another piece to reinvent himself to give his best self to the world. Defoe. Um, I'm curious to
1: to know that how do you put yourself in a position though where someone like an Arsenal or a professional football club (laughs) or a high profile athlete who's winning world titles, how do they? How do they employ someone like yourself? And I'll tell you why. There are a lot of coaches out there. I mean, I can name a few. Tony Robbins, for example, mm. Eric Thomas. Yeah. You know, the, the list is kind of endless. I mean, they're, they're these American guys, and obviously you're, you're British, but you know, what separates you from every other coach out there? And why do you get hired by
0: elite it's companies? That's such, such a great question, or individuals? honestly. Because I was thinking about this when I was coming up. I like to be under the radar. This ain't about me. I mean, I know that sounds like a massive contradiction, but I, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about you. So, if maybe it was more about me, maybe I'll get more work. I, I, I really don't know. But I've done the, I've done the work. I, when I started, I studied psychology, you know, I studied sports science, then sports psychology. I. Um, I didn't, I didn't learn anything from studying that. Honestly, I couldn't, c- couldn't help anyone. It was only what I did outside of university. And the fact that I went to university in the first place is a joke because I left school with one GCSE. i got no A-levels, didn't learn to read until I was 13, diagnosed with severe dyslexia, attention deficit disorder. I didn't have attention deficit disorder. I was just bored. If something's interesting, that's gonna hold my attention. So then I studied neurolinguistic programming. I studied hypnosis. And I, I found I had some skills and then I wanted to test the skills. I don't mind testing myself. I don't mind failing. And I found with a few people, I could get some amazing results with people like phobias. Um, and I was at a cricket festival and there was a cricketer there called Keith Arthurson who played for the West Indies. He uh, was humiliated in the World Cup. He got out for a zero, zero and one. Um, I, someone introduced me to him and I told him about what I did. Next thing I know, next two days later, I'm at his cricket club and I hypnotized him. I'd been studying hypnosis. I hypnotized him to think he was Viv Richards. Viv Richards, one of the greatest cricketers of all time. And uh, I did such a good job that he convinced himself he was Viv Richards. That when he was batting and the other batsman was talking to him, he said he didn't think he was who he was. He thought he was someone else and he got 178. That gave me more confidence to then start working with other people. I then got on TV. And then be on tv having your own tv show i then had an agent who was the agent to lots of athletes so they eventually you do the, you do the work and you get good at it people start coming to you i didn't have to i didn't have to talk about myself because what you do should speak louder than you to the point where people tell people about you do you know this person mm. that's exactly what happened with, with ronnie i mm. didn't approach ronnie mm. someone approached him because they'd heard about the work i was doing and a lot of these athletes will go
1: through chapters you know not many athletes will get to the top and remain at the top for forever or a very very long time and some people like a tiger woods will get up there gross over a billion dollars become the most famous golfer ever but then go through a series of mental health problems drink drugs crashing cars cheating on his wife you know going on these binges and stuff <laughs> had a few surgeries because of problems that he's had with hips and knees and stuff actually recover and get back on and win again and it's almost like people can buy into that story because he's human at the end of the day but at the start we all thought he was superhuman. human and I imagine there must have been a coach at that point that came into his life and kind of grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, metaphorically, and said,
0: sort your fucking self out. This is what we need to do. But well, do you know who that was? No. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was Michael Jordan. Okay. You know? Jordan was one of those people that said, Tiger, you, you've got to get your shit together. But what's fascinating is I have never had anyone come to me, come to me and say, Pete, I'm doing great. I want to do better. Never, they always come because they've got a problem. We worked with Hedman in 19, Tin Henman in 1998, got to the semi-final of Wimbledon, never saw him again. It's, what, it's fascinating. I'd be curious about what's your take on that. Do you, know, do you see that with the people that you know? There's only a drive to get better when something really bad happens as opposed to an ongoing drive to keep getting better. I heard about you know, the question you ask about, you know, about happiness and contentment that it's this constant drive. I mean, are we some weird freaks where we just want to get better? We want to squeeze as much out of what we've got because it ain't going to last forever. Um, But it's like doctors. You don't go to a doctor and say, hey, doctor, you know, I'm doing great. I want to get even better than I'm... People seek help because they've got a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, um, it's a, a
1: great example of, of why people should be training and having a, a relatively healthy diet. You know, you either make the time for those things or your illness will force you to make those times mm. to recover. Um, and it, and it's so, so true. So let's just take someone like a Tim Himman then. So like, I know we don't have time to go through the whole entire mindset, coaching the program that you put him through, but let's just say he's a professional athlete he's got fame he's got money he's he's adored he he's good but he's not Djokovic for example yeah what um how would you get him how would you initially talk to him about getting out the slump that he
0: might have been in at the present point in time I suppose my speciality is helping people stop you know we were looking at some of the artwork upstairs about the, the stop signs um to get people to stop and look at where they are because people don't change when you you tell them, right? People really change when their perspective changes, but it seems to be major life situations, which really horrible things that happen, prognosis, diagnosis, a defeat, humiliation, that people do stop and look at the world differently. So we just helped him look at what he was doing differently and made him realize that when he was thinking too much, he was really affecting how his body was performing. I mean, it's obvious, right? If you, if you think worrying thoughts, he, he said that he could see someone walking down with a tray of beers and he'd be thinking, at Wimbledon, that person could fall and that beer could f- go all over people. Why on earth would you be thinking that when you're playing in the biggest event of your life? We had to help him to get out of his head a little bit and get into his body. So we just showed him a really simple martial art technique, okay. which is called where you focus on the hara, the, the center of the body, the dantien. You know, it's what all martial artists whether they consciously or consciously know they're, they're putting their focus of attention where their strength is. Um, And it was amazing because he said, it was fascinating because what he said is he said, um, it really worked, but then eventually it stopped. It wasn't like a battery that we put in him. It's something that you have to practice doing. And, you know, we all know that we are who we are in most cases because of the practice and the work that we do, like the physical training we do is so that when we're out there competing, we are, we're ready to take on what might happen. Yeah, um, obviously
1: we're talking about athletes, we're talking about you know, winning teams, et cetera. but what about the normal human being out there? You know, the Mr. Joe blog. So like mm. some people feel like they're not reaching their potential. Some people know that they're in a comfort zone, but that comfort zone isn't making them a better father, a better mother. They're not healthier. They're not making more money in their current career or their current o- occupation, but they're a little bit fearful of, of breaking out that mold. And a lot of people going into this, this, uh, this groove of becoming very unhappy and depressed and fearful and got anxiety, etc. So my question to you is, is there a big difference between like depression and
0: real anxiety? Well, first off, thank you for asking the question. Because at the end of the day, all the famous people I've worked with, that's not where I'm really passionate about. It's nice. I'm passionate about every... I'm known as the people's coach. I'm interested in people and where they are. So depression is your past, how you think about the past. Anxiety is how you think about the future. And let's face it, there's never been as much depression and as anxiety as there is now. Why? Well, there's a few reasons. One is how we live our life, what we eat, what we drink, what we think. But one of the big reasons, and no one really talks about this is our relationship to the future. So the fact is, as human beings, everything we do, everything is governed by the future. So we're doing this, why? Well, it's gonna go out in the future. You go to the toilet, why? Because there's something you need to do. So we are goal oriented creatures is what the Greeks called teleological. Everything is target-orientated. What the science shows us, and this is unreal when people start to understand it's because it can change everything. You put people in what's called an fMRI machine, which you can see brain activity. You ask them three questions. You say, think of yourself. We see a region of the brain light up. We then say, think of a stranger. We see another part of the brain light up. Ask people to think of themselves in a year's time. The majority of people, the stranger part of the brain lights up. What does that mean? It means we don't have a relationship to the future. Why should we care about a future that we don't actually, that's why if you see some, something that says buy now, pay next year, a lot of people will buy it because next year doesn't exist. People aren't invest, I mean, at what point in your life did you realize there was more to life than just the weekend? Because mm. I remember as a kid, I didn't care. All I was interested in is where are we going on Saturday night? Where are we going on holiday? That's all I was interested in. At what point in my life, did I start thinking about a future that was a few weeks, a few months, a few years away? So let me ask you, mm. cause I'm, <laughs> I'm genuinely curious. Mm. At what point did you start thinking? I don't know, I, I guess, I guess,
1: I don't know really. I mean, when I, when I, I guess when I was doing plumbing and I hated it, it forced me to, to really think about the future because I read one telltale sign I knew I, I was not, Going to last at this place, and it wasn't for me because majority of people in this firm that I met for the first time—not the people in the office, but the actual people in the tools—so many of them. There was a guy called John. Remember, short <laughs> guy. He was one, one of the only sparky electricians in this plumbing company. He said, "Why the fuck do you want to do this?" So said, get out now. He said that to me. Get out now while you can. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this, this, is, this is really odd. Like, why would an older guy who's been doing this all his life, who perceives to be making okay money, why would he and a few others all say the same thing? So Ooh. I was thinking at that point that there's, there's got to be a reason why these people are saying this. But then when I got into sales, when I was like 19, 20 years of age, loads of people loved it they're energized, they're, they're, they're happy, they're pursuing money, they're making money. And it was a complete shift. So I think it was at my younger teenage years.
0: That's, that's when, so fascinating, yeah. you know, those guys telling you that. Because yeah. what that tells me is they're thinking, hey, we can't get out of this. We've been doing it for 10, 15 years. This is who we are. Don't get to where we are because we're unhappy which is ridiculous, right? I can understand why mm. they might think that they can't reinvent themselves. And mm. Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich you know, in the 1930s was saying one of the biggest misnomers in the world is people when they get to 40s, 50s, they think that's it. That's, that's nonsense. I'm 53 and I honestly feel like my best years are ahead of me. Mm. I've got all of this experience, all of this wisdom. I'm ready for reinvention. And I'm mm. not saying it's easy, but that's fascinating. So you got out, right? Definitely, what yeah. got you? <laughs> I hated it. And what did you hate about it?
1: I hated being dirty. I hated being uncomfortable. I hated being. I never wanted to to do that i never wanted to be a become a plumber why
0: did you do it because it felt like the right thing to do or you earn money
1: no 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 i was i I became someone else's plan because i didn't i wasn't firm on my own plan i wanted to become a marine i went to sign up to be a marine my mom and dad told me after i signed up that i was going to get killed so then my mom was playing at a private um golf course and they both said to me look if you get a trade you'll never go skint and I remember that term, and I was thinking to myself, mm. being skint isn't on my mind, being fucking wealthy is what I wanna be. Uh, but their thing was, you, you won't go skint. So she got me a, a job interview with Priory, Priory Mechanical Services, which was a firm in Pope Road in Purley. They were heating engineers and plumbers. And um, I got the job and I stuck at it until I qualified for like three years. And then a few months after I qualified, I left because I hated it. Um, and I I just didn't like anything about it. It was not my mission.
0: Well done for getting out because a lot of people don't do that. They continue to do it for the rest of their life. I introduced Stephen Bartlett at an event and he said something to me that just blew my mind. He said when he was 15, I've got this because I often just go and watch it. He said when he was 15, he actually knew who he was pursuing, You know, to the point where his mum said, if you leave university, I'll never talk to you again. But in his mind, and I think I, I didn't have that. I didn't have... I didn't know the, I'm gonna meet the person I'm gonna become in 10 years time. Mm. And that's who I see. So for example, when Ronnie came to work with me, he, he made a two hour appointment. He was there for three days. He needed to talk to someone. He was not in a good place. And we know that's one of the greatest things we can ever do for anyone is just create a space where we can listen to them. After a couple of days, I asked him what he wanted and he said he wanted to win again. So I said, how would you know that you had? And then he, he pictured himself holding the trophy again. I said, was that you in the past? Because that's what often people do. Or is that you in the future? He went, no, it's me in the future. So then I said to him, which I say to everyone I work with, the person that you see, that isn't you. That you could be that person. It's whether you want to become that person because that person has made fundamental changes in their life. They've stopped doing things and they've started doing things. And it's mm-hmm. whether you want to bring that person, bring that Paint that picture, paint that canvas. Because if you're going to do it, it's gonna be hard. Yeah. It's gonna be resistance. It's gonna be part of you that doesn't wanna do it. It's what do you want to do the greatest work of your life? And I think the greatest work of our lives will be who we ultimately become. Mm. And it's sad when you hear people like that that think, Get out, get out. You don't wanna be where we are. Well that's sad, right? Of course it's it is. a sad story.
1: Yeah, that 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 was the thing that frightened me because I could see myself in them, they were looking at me like you've got youth on your side and you're coming into this first for the first time and you don't actually know what you're getting yourself into and this is like a prison here. like Yeah, that's you, what
0: I was picturing in my mind when you were we're
1: te- in prison we can not get out. And on the building site, some people listening to this right now would absolutely love to become a plumber or a tradesperson and if they would thrive in that environment and there are a lot of successful... I mean, I interviewed Charlie Mullins who sold Pimlico Plumber for $150 million, and he was once on the tools. So that he just shows you what's possible. But for me, when I was out, I couldn't see a way out. It was almost like prison and I hated it with a passion. And then when Sounds I... was like going to school. I hated it. I hated it. They're, like Some people are like... There's no other way. Like, I hated school. Hated it. And I hated being, being a plumber. Guys... I wanted to hop on here to once again thank the sponsors of this week's podcast iSecure Vehicles when we were searching around for sponsors for the channel we honestly wanted to get a brand a company that would give massive amount of value to our audience and that is definitely iSecure Vehicles they have a wide range of products which are designed to keep your vehicle your asset safe and secure some of those products are dash cameras, undetected immobilisers, and car tracking systems. Head over to iSecure to look at their products and make sure you say that the Stephen Sully Study podcast sent you there. Even today, I know how to do some plumbing stuff. I refuse to do it at my home.
0: The mental health issues in the construction industry is really, really Mm. scary. Mm. I know someone who works in that particular area and it's, it's sad just how people are suffering when they don't need to and just being open to the possibilities that exist for all of us yeah rather than waiting for a prognosis or a diagnosis or a disaster for us to decide to change mm. it doesn't have to be like that
1: yeah t- totally and um wh- one thing i realise is a lot of these people they 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 got the mortgages they got the the families and even though all these things are great they're actually the same things that trap them they felt anyway in their own mind that that why they couldn't leave that profession. Mm. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books and around a lot of successful people. And there was a interview that probably so many people have watched, which is Steve jobs who founded Apple. Steve Jobs got a terminal cancer. At the start, they thought it was a terminal cancer. Then they realized it was a very rare type of cancer, and he overcame this cancer and lived many other years, invented many other things for Apple, and unfortunately, eventually, did die from, from the cancer. And one of the conversations and speeches he gave at this campus university Stanford. when he was talking about the biggest motivator is death. Because when you look death in the eyes, like he did he realized that he's not invincible and time is ticking and the only thing that we've got is the here and now as you mentioned earlier you can't go back in the past and you, tomorrow is not a guarantee so you've got the present right here right now and when that that he said that i want to say it clicked but i'm not going to lie and say it clicked forever because every so often you've got to go back to these conversations and realize and just remind yourself that you've only got the here and now And we spoke off air and we spoke on WhatsApp about some of the biggest motivators for people today, including your good self, is the prospects of us dying. What do you mean by that? Why is death such a
0: motivator? I mean, look, first off, thank you for asking the question because when you asked the question there, I was just thinking, okay, we are all gonna die. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are struggling because they probably know deep down they could be doing more there's something that's pulling them something that they could do that would make a difference because it's called a legacy right so most mm. people want to leave a legacy but death is a thing that people just don't really talk about it it's a taboo subject yeah it, it shouldn't that should we not be teaching death at school i think we should be teaching death at school and how we view the future at school and how we deal with trauma at school wouldn't it be great if we started teaching that because you know, a, a conversation I'd love to have with someone like yourself is, um, okay, you're going to die. What is it people are going to say about you when you've gone? Or what do you mm-hmm. want to leave behind? Um, as you know, because we've spoken about this, and I haven't publicly <clears throat> spoken too much about it recently, that you know, my wife died uh, in That's May, in pena. May 19th. Yeah, I wasn't that very long ago. This year. This year. Wow. She was my best friend. She's my business partner. She was everything, and she died, and but it was it's crazy because my mum died two years ago my dad died five years ago so i feel like i've been in training to deal with death but i think you know what this cliche people say your biggest test is your biggest testimonial you can say that shit and it doesn't mean anything yeah but my biggest test is to live in the honor of them my dad my dad always said son it's not what you know it's who you know by the way as i told you my dad was a military historian of the first world war I asked him why he loved the First World War so much. He wasn't born during the First World War. He said it was a camaraderie of people. People would get shot and taken to a hospital and they crawl back because they wanted to be with their brothers. They wanted to support each other. So my dad was all about, it's not what you know, it's who you know. My mum said, it's not, my mum said there's an answer to everything. I do believe there's an answer to everything. And if I hadn't been trained by those two people, my wife would have been dead 13 years ago when she was given 18 months to live. Yeah. So I've been trained. And then all that time with my wife, it's like I have an opportunity. And I'm not saying it's easy. Grief is a real challenging thing. I don't know whether you've ever had to uh, grief in your life. I would imagine you have. But when it's someone really close to you, it's like this wave, it's like it keeps coming. But ultimately I'm still here. Mm. And what do I want to do with what I've got? I want to take what they've poured into me, and I want to pour it into you, and pour it into the people that are listening. So maybe because we were that close to—I mean, I don't know how much you want me to go into the story, but it's a fucking—pardon my French—a yeah. mental, mental story. Well, well um, I do want to—I do want to drill, drill down into it if
1: if 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 we may. And what I was going to say is you're obviously good at what you do, hence why Arsenal, Renault Sutherland and all these, these other professional people have asked for your services and you've been uh, instrumental with, with them either coming back or becoming the best version of yourself and be, being champions. But it's almost the irony that y- y- you've done all that and it's almost like, God, the universe, law of attraction, coincidence. It said, right, we've got a bigger test now for Pete. It's no, it's not a team, and it's not uh, a golfer or a tennis player or a boxer or, or a footballer. It's actually going to be with mm. his own wife, and let's see what, let's see how he can overcome this.
0: So, if you want to take us all the way back, Hannah was your wife. Yeah, I met her. Okay, so thank you again, thank you, because I know when I was, I was coming up here on the train, listening to the podcast with G Fresh, right? G Fresh. Mm. G Fresh. Yeah, listening that I know that someone else is gonna be listening to this and mm. they might be inspired by what they hear. So um, my I, I met my wife, I was a keynote speaking at uh, an event in Croatia, but the whole world stopped because it was the ash cloud, do you remember in 2010? Yeah, yeah. So everyone stopped, everyone in Europe, you couldn't fly, all around the world. It was one of those I big remember. stop moments like COVID, but obviously yeah. nothing like that. If, I, if that stop moment hadn't happened, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have spent time with her. And I didn't, wasn't even that keen on her, to be honest. I, I liked her, but she used to smoke, she used to drink. I'm not a drinker, not anymore, don't smoke. But I liked her, there was something about her and we became close. And after being with her for a year, she had a massive grand mal seizure. It was like 20 minutes in my parents' house. It was really scary. Um, and I was taken to the hospital, the Royal Free in North London. She was pr- quickly diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor, she had an eight and a half hour operation on her brain, she had, uh, and I, I asked how long she got and they, they told me, they said, do you wanna know? I said, yeah, that's why I'm asking. She goes, she'd be lucky if she's got 18 months. So my dad always said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Probably like you, I know a lot of people. I take huge pride in connecting people. I don't get the, re- I don't want recognition. It's like, who can we connect? So uh, I had a coach for 16 years. He was from Dallas, he was from the Philippines lived in Dallas, called him up. He said, find people that are still alive with the same brain tumor and find out why. I never would have thought of that, (laughs) as obvious as it is. And then he said, ask her what she's gonna do when she gets better. I then said to him, I just told you she's been given 18 months. And I never forget what he said. He said, so what? People defy the odds all the time. Don't buy into what they're telling you. It's not true unless you want it to be true and you want it to be a placebo. I parked that, what he said there, that bit, about what you're gonna do when you get better. Because all I was interested in is her not dying. So I Googled lots of stuff, which is a dangerous thing to do with brain tumors. Brain tumors, it's not a sexy cancer, extremely aggressive. People don't last very long. I then found a documentary about this Polish doctor called Dr. Stanislaw Bozinski. Huge amounts of controversy about this doctor. But I spoke to patients that have been treated by him. So I was then in this dilemma, $250,000 for the treatment. People were either saying he's a charlatan or um, we don't know anything about him. Hannah didn't wanna know, she wasn't ready. But at one point she watched the documentary twice. She called me up and said, we're going. So we went to America, she started this treatment. It was 18 months of this fluid going into her body. It was a synthesized peptide. So this doctor, his research was peptides. It wasn't cancer. Um, but he found that people with certain diseases were deficient in this peptide. So he synthesized it. It was unreal. She came back to life. I saw a video the other day of when we were presenting. And you just see this person. She was, I made a documentary about it because she was, he, the doctor was being taken to court by the Texas Medical Board and the FDA in America. So I thought, I've got to film this because if he gets convicted, they'll take her off the treatment. So I, I filmed all of this and it was, a, it was, a, it was a miracle. I fell in love with her. She stopped drinking immediately. She, that's not why I fell in love with her. Also, I had to step up. I've always run away from relationships. You know, people get them to love me and then run away. Um, her dad couldn't look after her. Her dad was nursing her mum. Her mum had dementia, young. So her dad was, there was no one else. I had to step up, I had to be the man. I had to be a hero for her. And I'm glad I did because she became my hero. Um. She Three years afterwards. I then asked her what are you gonna do when you get better? Raphael asked me to ask you that she started crying. I thought she was crying Because she didn't see a future which is how ignorant I was Everybody sees a future, but she saw a future she didn't want So we worked on that I, I googled draw your future and I came across this woman who's done TED talks about drawing your future. She's become one of my greatest friends. Hannah drew the future. It was our house. It was a child. Unfortunately, she had a horrible miscarriage, Um, but she was unreal. You talk about people, you think it was difficult for me. Can you imagine how much more difficult it is when you're facing death, yet you still lean in? And it was amazing because she got so much better. And then, in, I told you it was a, a long story.
1: Yeah, so like before we do, we go into this this next part, so like just for the audience's sake and also for mine, like the doctor, the Polish doctor over in America um, reminds me a little bit of the COVID times because you've got the conventional doctors out there who are on the news telling you take the jab, take the vaccine and ridiculing people that weren't taking it and kind of alienating individuals or groups that said, well look if you want to take the vaccine great but i don't want me and my kids to take it because i feel like i'm healthy enough and actually today it transpires that if you were healthy that you could overcome it and people that not going to knock anyone that had the vaccine if they want to take it take it but they're kind of trying to force a lot of people to take it at the time and i believe that message and culture isn't just to do with the coronavirus it actually probably ha- happens in multiple different other areas within health and medicine so this polish doctor was being vilified vilified for having a uh, an alternative method when treating patients why was he being vilified and why was he being singled out and treated as a wacko but yet he was he was he was, he was he was making
0: people better, like your wife. I mean, obviously I'm a little bit emotional when you're asking about that because it's amazing what people go through. People who are just genuine people. This guy was getting, there were so many people that were attacking him. They were, and they're still today they're convinced that the guy's a charlatan, yet now he can practice. Now it's much easier f- for people to get this treatment. And Mavericks are always. Dr. Hillary Jones, who I know really well, TV doctor, he looked into this treatment and he said to me, Pete, I wouldn't stay here, I'd definitely go. He said on television, uh, medical mavericks often get a hard time. He got yeah. vilified for two years, Dr. Hillary. Yeah. People are attacking him, saying you shouldn't say this. It's people who go against the grain. Yeah. Let's face it, you go against the grain. I'm going against the grain. I don't want to be like everybody else. And if we decided to just do what everyone else was doing, she would be dead. But that's why i feel i need to talk about him because he people more more people need to know about him and anyone can go and google him and see for themselves dr basinski he said he he grew up in communistic communism in poland he said that was easier than being in america where he's been vilified and taken to court so
1: so this is my i know this is going to be probably more of a complex answer but if you were to give it in short your wife at the time was diagnosed with a very aggressive and unsexy your quote cancer And she had about 18 months if she was lucky to live what was the conventional doctors advising to do at that point as far as treatment medical advice etc and what was the advice and treatment
0: advice given by this polish doctor what what were the complete polar opposites complete opposites is you know surgery which was obviously i would imagine it was a good thing for hannah but radiotherapy for brain tumors again this is quite i have to be careful i'm not a doctor but you look at the research that shows that people you radiate the brain what happens the research shows that in most cases there'll be a secondary cancer that comes back not in the same place that's exactly what happened to my wife Uh, in terms of basinski uh, in Houston it was a question this treatment which was this synthesized peptides also making dietary changes he was massively into a ketogenic diet get rid of sugar and I don't tell you that over here right that cancer exclusively eat sugar no no one no one tells you that I mean I obviously knew that and just your mentality the mentality of yeah, you're going to get better and that's where he was coming from and it, it was amazing because she did get better I mean so better But they call it anecdotal that's why i called the documentary that i made uh hannah's anecdote because in the medical fraternity i just said that's anecdotal it's a freak of it's not it doesn't sit into our reality however i understand how doctors have to be careful about prescribing and encouraging other treatments because there are a lot of people snake charmers and snake oil sellers and you know who will abuse you but there are people out there who have got but they have to fight. No independent person has ever bought a drug to market. No one, it's all pharmaceutical companies. And pharmaceutical companies, I mean, uh, let's face it, they wanna make things for pennies and sell them for millions. That's not to say people don't benefit from pharmaceutical drugs, but it's an industry. You know, it's not, it's a sick care system. 97.3% of Americans are unhealthy by four basic measures. Most people are, Creating futures they don't want. Well, mm. they'll end up being on medication for the last few years of their life, not really living life, but just existing. So
1: she got better, yeah. and then there's like a second second phase. What happened after that? So we
0: got married, and my wife found a, a new career in, in making quilts, and you know she was really happy. She 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 had no symptoms. She occasionally would have uh, just a few headaches, but she's got a big hole in her head. In uh, 2021, in November, I was working at Anfield. And I was asleep uh, at night uh, and there was a big bang on the door because I, I got to bed quite early. And I honestly thought Hannah had died. I don't know why, but she hadn't. she just had another seizure. It took a bit of time to work out what was wrong, um, but it didn't take that long for them to realize, okay, this tumor's come back. They did MRIs. They could see four. This was now called a glioblastoma multiform, four tumors. This is the most aggressive one of the most aggressive cancers, the most aggressive brain cancer. Um, They wouldn't operate too deep. They wouldn't give her anything. They offered her chemotherapy and chemotherapy and brain tumors. I'm sorry, the science doesn't really just add up. Uh, We couldn't go back to America. Why? Well, because of a choice that we both had made, which is, you know, about the vaccination. Um, Not getting I, jabbed. Oh yeah, and she was really in a bad way this time because it was in a different place. Her her right side of her body was failing. She couldn't get really get out of bed. She couldn't talk and I thought this was it. I thought this was the end. I really, really did. I had given up. I would get all of our affairs in order because they weren't in order. I then spoke to another friend of mine who's who's actually in London now, another doctor a nutritionist I've worked with Evander Holyfield, Yao Ming, Tyson Gay. He basically said, You can't give up. You have to find what else is out there. And thanks to him, I carried on. And there was a treatment in Germany that I found. And this is mental. A treatment where they put two viruses in her brain. The chicken pox virus and the Newcastle virus. Why? I don't know exactly why it was those two viruses. You put a virus in the body, what happens? Your body wakes up to the fact that shouldn't be there. And what they were doing was that shouldn't be there, but that shouldn't be there which was these tumours. And literally I saw every scan, we had to go to Germany for specific scans. They don't do these scans here, they're called a FET-PET. And we could see, and in the classic F- MRI, that three of the four were disappearing. Three of them went, I've seen, and it was, a, it, I was saying this is the closest thing to a miracle. And then I started saying, this ain't the closest thing to a miracle. This is a miracle. There was one tumour left. It was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We came back. We were on the road on the M25 going home. I get a text message from the doctor saying, look, it's not good news. I said, what's, what's happened to Hannah? What, what's happened? What's, what's going on? Because we can't make sense of... They'd never seen anyone respond this quickly. And honestly, she came back. She was... You, I was with a friend yesterday and we were talking last year. She was showing, look what I can do. I can shake hands. I can, it was, it was amazing. It was like, almost talking about it, it feels surreal. Mm. Like, did that actually really happen? And then she got COVID in December last year and it was 10 days. It was, it was, but we didn't realize what was going on because two of the doctors were pretty convinced that her getting COVID just did something and it literally had the tumors just it just went mad it went so big so quickly and she was so brave but she leaned in again and at some point i think she knew she was dying and then she ended up in a hospice for 19 days and then she died on may 19th and it's been horrendous i obviously sure you can understand but you know when people say there's someone worse off there always is i saw people die in the hospice who had young children and things it's hard life is tough as I heard you say on that podcast life is tough it's difficult but I have to carry on right Mm. that's why I'm so thankful for you letting me tell this story because these things happen Mm. so losing
1: your wife on that particular day I don't want to ask you the question how did it make you feel but being, being a mindset Coach, life coach, and someone that trains winners to become champions. How did you use your skills, your own mindset, <laughs> and also your? experience to overcome adversity because you lost your wife?
0: Well, so first thing is, I, I don't mind you asking me that question because the first thing I felt was relief. Mm. I don't like suffering. I don't like people suffering. That was the first thing. The second thing was immense gratitude. I like ridiculous amounts of gratitude for the people that looked after her. But all of the people that came to support me, my brother was right there, my, was there holding Hannah's hand. And I'm hold, I was there with my brother, with my mum gratitude to all the people and then i went on a bit of a tour i went around the world to go and thank people but then after that it's that missing of the person and the realization that that it's, that was really really still difficult it hurts but it's not going to define me i'm not going to be defined by grief mm. i want to be inspired by grief and hopefully people who hear this will will feel that so is okay the advice the message
1: if someone is with someone today who's terminal, or they've just lost somebody, what is the advice that you can give to a normal person
0: to overcome the loss of a loved one? It's, a, it's okay, it's a great question. The first thing is I would always encourage people to talk about it, because if you don't talk about it, it, it it's trauma, you're gonna keep it inside and it can eat you up. So definitely talking about it. For me, I've always think this, what would, what would that person want? Mm. I mean, it was a gift them being in my life. What the hell would they want from me? Mm. Have you lost anyone close to you in your life? Mm-hmm. What would they want for you? To be happy. Yeah, and what does being happy, I'm curious what that, <laughs> does that
1: mean to you? For me, it's, uh, it's
0: wanting more out of life, Yeah, being healthier. Being so fitter. isn't that amazing that we can live in the memory of them because what's the point unless... The only reason we're here here because of people passed on things to us. Yeah, I want to do her proud. So I will do her proud. Every interaction, whether people realize it or not, I bring her with me. Mm. And she really taught me how to be intentional. I wish... She was a younger, lot younger, 14 years younger than me. I, mm. I wish I'd done a few things differently, but so what? Mm. I can do things differently now. And I will. Mm. And I am. It's a bit like as well, because traditionally
1: when someone dies everyone dresses in black they go for a funeral they listen to really sad music people do these (laughs) these talks and everyone starts crying but in actual (laughs) fact that person your nan your mum your sister your brother your kid actually if you were to ask them before they went how do you want them to respond when you go I want them to be happy I want them to laugh I want them to be dancing it's a celebration it's not a funeral where you're thinking about them dying and in actual fact if you can spin it like that you can actually you could actually probably get more out of them passing and actually they are with you all the time in spirit you know walking around yeah. day, day to day and i think that's a an important message
0: well for hannah's funeral we all dressed in pink and purple and um i got everyone a magic wand um and we sung the song abracadabra by the steve miller band because she loved that song Mm. and abracadabra by the way it comes from the hebrew which means i create as i speak and that's what i love to find out from people you know speaking Mm. what it is that you want to do speak it out even if it's scary even if it's difficult because that's what her her legacy was five words just get on with it just get on with it and i'm writing a book actually called just get on with it how to create your fantastic future
1: yeah it's um it's a bit like the night term, which is just do it, but it's more of an extended one. And my, <laughs> my, my, my mum is very much like that. Just get on with it. It's a get, just get on with it mentality. Um, and I actually, that resonates with me quite a lot. So moving forward then, another Arsenal, a Chelsea, a Man United, a boxer, a new snooker player, a new golfer. Who, who are you coaching at the moment and which talent should we be looking out for?
0: So um, I'm, not, I'm only working with one person at the moment, and um, he's a young golfer. Um, he's, Professional? He's 16. Okay. He's one of the top players uh, in the UK. Um, I'm not sure about saying his name at the moment. Okay. Uh, I need to check. <laughs> I've got in trouble for, for, for speaking out before, which probably won't surprise you. I often think, and sorry, speak without thinking. But as I said to you before, I watched him play and I thought, this guy's unreal. Just like these paintings, you see people creating and I see his ability to create is off the chart. Mm. But most people who are really good at something, they need support. They need help to make sense of what they're doing because achieving and growing and making things isn't always easy. Mm. So, yeah, um, if you, <laughs> I'll, maybe if people message me, I can tell them what the name is, but I need to check with his mum. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and... Um, uh obviously you
1: got your podcast you're doing motivational speaking there's a whole heap of other things that you're doing where can actually people find you what are you offering at this present point in time and is there something else to be looking out for in the future that you're going to be delivering
0: yeah again thank you for asking the question for the first time in my life i'm i'm not too driven by what's in the future i'm more driven about being in the present and knowing that that will create a better future Hmm. you know i'm still grieving you know, I'm enjoying being here with you rather than thinking about what's next. Where am I going? I did create a, a program, it's free. So it's, mm-hmm. it's called the 30 Day Kickstart, My365 30 Day Kickstart. We've had over 40,000 people sign up to this program, but only less than 2% of people complete it. It's all about building a relationship wow. to your future self. If anyone wants to do that, it's, like I say, we're not selling anything, but probably best place to find me is on, uh, on Instagram at, Pete Cohen, All yeah, right. Good so stuff. Thank you so much for the uh, opportunity. And what can I do for you?
1: Well, listen, we, we said we're doing another podcast where I come and yours, so we 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 Definitely. we do it, and we're, we're obviously going to stay connected. My rounding off question, which you heard me say to G Fresh, is my mantra, which goes like this: "Be happy, never content." Now you know my interpretation of what that means to me. But if I were to ask Pete Cohen, the lifestyle coach, what does "be happy"? never content mean to you?
0: Well, for me, if I'm content, I'm dead. You know, it doesn't mean I don't enjoy where I am. So um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the American declare of independence. I think that's messed up so many people around the world because they think happiness is a future destination. It's ridiculous. Mm. Why can't we just be happy right now? Can I be happy and not content? Yeah, absolutely. I am very happy. Am I content? No, because there's more that I still want to do. you know. And if I do get, like you said, shoot me. If I say I'm content, I'm done. No, mm. I, this, what do I want to do? So that would be, it's funny because I designed an equation in 2004 for happiness for a holiday company. It got broadcast in 27 countries around the world. We had people from Korea coming over to see us because they thought we had found the answer to happiness, which is ridiculous. Happiness is relative, but you can be happy for no reason yeah. if you want to be.
1: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. Look, thank you very thank much you. for your time. Thank you for coming over to Mayfair. Really enjoyed the conversation. And make sure everybody's subscribing. Be happy, never content. And looking forward to doing another podcast with yourself Definitely. in the future. Cheers, Pete. Thank you.